Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. I've been waiting for you, and today we're going to return to Jude verse 1 and finish what we didn't get to yesterday, and then we're going to jump right into verse 3. But hey, if you need prayer, give us a call. We're waiting to hear from you, and we want to pray for you. Or send us an email. The moment we hear from you, Denise and I and our entire team, we're going to really pray for you. Just recently, I was in the Tulsa office, and my team didn't know I was doing it. But I was walking through partner care, standing behind people, listening to them as they were praying for people that were reaching out to us. My, it is amazing the prayers of faith that are released when you reach out to our ministry. I assure you, you will be passionately and fervently really, really prayed for. So please reach out to us. We believe part of our calling is to pray for you. So give us a call or go online and send us your email. And this week we're offering you my brand new series called Earnestly Contending for the Faith. It comes with a study guide. And we're also offering you my book, which is recommended by more than 40 endorsers. And the name of the book is How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, Developing Discernment for These Last Days. And a lot of what we're teaching this week in this program is in this amazing book. But hey, reach for your Bible. At the end of the program, I'll tell you how you can get these materials. But right now, let's go right to Jude verse 1 and very quickly review what we saw yesterday and then we're going to move on. But when you go to Jude verse 1, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, the King James Version says to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and Called. And we saw that when you read this in the Greek text, the Greek text actually says some of this a little differently. I don't know why the King James translators translated it the way that they did, because the Greek really is a little bit different and different in a very, very important way. But let's review what we saw yesterday. Who is Jude? Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. And we saw yesterday that in Matthew 13, verses 55 and 56, the Bible tells us that Jesus had siblings. He was the firstborn. He was the firstborn son. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was not born as a result of a sexual union between Mary and Joseph. Mary became pregnant with Jesus before she ever had a sexual relationship. And Matthew chapter 2 tells us that she became pregnant when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon her. And that thing which was formed in her, the Son of God, was formed in her supernaturally. Jesus really was the Son of God. But after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had a normal marital relationship and they produced other sons. For example, we read from Matthew 13, 55, they produced a son whose name was James. James became the pastor or the leader of the church in Jerusalem and wrote the book of James. After James, they had another son. His name was Joseph, obviously named after his father. Then there was another son whose name was Simon. Then there was another son whose name was Jude. That is the Jew who wrote the book of Jude. And when you read Matthew 13, verse 56, it says Jesus had sisters and in Greek it is plural, 
which means there had to be at least two. There may have been more. But when you look at the family of Mary and Joseph, it is so amazing because their firstborn son was God in the flesh. Their secondborn son became James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, wrote the book of James. Their next son was Joseph. The next son was Simeon or Simon. And the next son was Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. This entire family was called into the ministry along with their sisters. And early records say the sisters married men who were in the ministry. So the entire family was called by God into the ministry. And my friend, I want you to lay hold of the fact that God doesn't just want to do something with you. He wants to do something with you, with your spouse, with your entire family. God just loves to call entire families. But then, as we continue in this verse, Jude identifies himself as the brother of James. So here you have it. This really is the brother of James. And James was the second born in the family. And it seems that Jude was the last born son. And the word brother here is the word adelphos, which describes two that are born out of the same womb. And here Jude uses this word to just say he is the natural born brother of James. He also identifies himself as the servant of Jesus Christ, the servant of Jesus Christ. And the word servant is the word dolos. As I told you yesterday, there are three primary words for a servant in the New Testament. First, there's the word diakonos. It's where you get the word deacon, which you find in Acts chapter 6. You know, I grew up in a denomination where the deacons ruled the church. But in fact, the word deacon, the Greek word diakonos, describes high-level servants. They're not to be rulers. They're to be the best servants in the church. Then in the New Testament, there's the word huperetas, which you can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, where Paul says to the Corinthians, Hey guys, if you want to know what to think about us preachers, think of us like this. Think of us as the ministers of Christ. It could be translated, think of us as the servants of Christ. And that is the Greek word, huperetas. And the word huperetas described criminals that were judged and condemned to live the balance of their life in the bottom of big shipping galleys. They were chained to a bench. A big oar was put into their hands. And for the rest of their lives, their motto was, row, row, row the boat. And that was their function for the rest of their life. Their job was to row and row and row and row and to listen to the captain above who had a big drum. And with his drum, he would beat out a rhythm which determined how they were to row the boat. They were listening all the time to the master above and following his instructions so they might row according to his instructions and directions. And because they were rowing the boat, the boat moved. If they didn't row, the boat did not move. And that is the word which Paul hilariously uses to describe people like me that are called into the ministry. He says, hey, if you want to understand who we are, we're the ones that God has put down under in the galley of the ship. Our job is not to be a passenger up on deck enjoying the breezes as the ship moves along, but our job is to be down under doing whatever it is the master asks us to do to keep the church moving. We are the under rowers in the church. And by the way, if we don't do our job, probably the boat will not move. So our task is 
is to grab a hold of that oar, accept our calling, listen to the Lord as he gives us instructions, and row accordingly to keep the church moving forward. You need to understand, your pastor may stand on the stage, but my friends, if your pastor doesn't do what he does seven days a week, it is likely the church won't have much movement. Everyone called into the ministry. Their job is to row the boat. And I don't know what is your particular assignment in the church, but you need to understand you're also called to be an under rower. If you're in the nursery, if you are a deacon, if you serve on an evangelism team, if you serve in a Sunday school class, or if you serve in the worship team, your job is to grab that oar and row accordingly. Do what the Lord has asked you to do because when you do your part, movement happens in the church. And if people don't do what they're supposed to do, then the church has no forward progress. But that's the word Paul used to describe himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. We're the under rowers. We're the guys who are rowing the boat to make sure this church keeps moving forward. But now we come to Jude, verse 1, and Jude does not use the word diakonos. He does not use the word huperetas. He uses the word dolos, and the word dolos in the New Testament and in secular Greek of that time was the most abject term for a slave. Now, sometimes people say, well, I'm not a slave. I'm a son of God. Of course, you're a son of God. That's a position that God has bestowed upon you. We are behold. The Bible tells us in 1 John, behold, we are the sons of God. It is an amazing thing that God has bestowed upon us. We've been adopted as his sons in position. That's who we are. But in attitude, we have to be servants. We have to be willing to do whatever he asks us to do and to live solely to fulfill his will. And that leads us to this word servant in Jude verse 1, the Greek word dolos. It depicts a slave or a servant whose will is swallowed up in the will of his master and he lives for the sole reason to do the bidding and to do the desires of his master, whatever it may be, his job is to faithfully execute anything that his master will ever ask him to do. And now Jude uses that word to describe himself. And as I told you yesterday, he could have leveraged who he was by saying, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. But that's not what he did. He said, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Jude, I'm one sold out to do his will. I'm going to do whatever he asks me to do, wherever it is. I'll go wherever he says. I'll say whatever he tells me to say. My task is to faithfully execute any assignment he ever gives to me. And even though we are sons and daughters of God in attitude, we have to be servants. That's how Denise and I have lived our life. That's what we've taught our sons. That's what we're teaching our grandchildren. That's what we teach our church. And that's what I want to say to you. In attitude, you have to have a willingness to do anything that Jesus will ever ask you to do. Say amen. That's what a servant does. But then it goes on and it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, the natural born brother of James, to them 
that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Then in verse 2, he says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Let's look at this. First of all, he says to them that are sanctified by God the Father. But guess what? The Greek text absolutely does not say that. And I don't know how the King James translators ever even translated it like that. The Greek actually says to them that are in God. I'm going to read to you from my notes. The word in is a little preposition, which means in, inside, located inside of, and gives the impression of one that is permanently located in the interior of a particular sphere and who operates inside the sphere where he has been permanently located. He's describing us being in Christ. We are in Christ. We are deeply embedded in Christ. And this means we who are in Christ are in a new spiritual location and we must make it our objective for this truth to become our experiential Reality. That is amazing. We are deeply embedded inside Jesus. The enemy cannot touch us because we are in him. And there's something else very important. The Greek actually says, also having been loved by God the Father. And that word loved, uh, that word loved is the Greek word agape, which describes a love so profound that it knows no limits, it knows no boundaries to what it will do to reach out to the one that it loves. And that's why we find this word used in John 3, 16, for God so loved. It doesn't just say God loved, it says God so loved. It was so profound. He knew no limitations, no boundaries. There was nothing that he would not do to express this love and to do something to change our lost condition. That's the kind of love that God had for me. That's the kind of God love that God has for you. God loved you. He cherished you so much that he was compelled to do something for you. And what did he do? He saved you. He saved you. He called you. And he placed you in Christ, the little Greek word in, the preposition, which means he deeply embedded you inside Jesus. And my friends, I want you to know you are deeply embedded inside Christ. That is just amazing. And it says preserved. We are the preserved. The word preserved is a form of the Greek word tereo. And the word tereo is a marvelous word. It means to keep, to guard, or to protect. It was the very word used to describe the uninterrupted vigilance of a soldier whose task was to watch over his assignment and to not yield, not surrender to any attack. He was to faithfully guard his assignment. That's the word here translated preserved. Actually, the Greek word tereo. Also, this word tereo was the very same word used to describe the uninterrupted vigilance of a shepherd whose assignment was to watch over his sheep. It didn't matter if wolves came or bears or any other kind of predators. His assignment was to guard over his flock and make sure it was protected and it was kept safely. And now that word is used by James to mean that once we've been deeply embedded inside Jesus, we have become 
his responsibility. And like a great soldier, Jesus is watching over me. He's watching over you because you are his assignment. And he is not going to fail at the task of watching over you. Like a great shepherd of the sheep, he's going to watch over me and he's going to watch over you because you're a member of his flock. But wait, there's something else. This verse also says that we are called, and the word called is a form of the Greek word, kletos, please listen to this. It means to beckon, to call, to invite, or to summon. And listen to this. It was often used to convey the idea of those called or invited to an event that normally was closed to the public. You couldn't come unless you were called or invited. Thus, it was an event that one could only participate in by a VIP invitation. For example, this word called, the Greek word kletos, was the very word used to describe a special invitation extended by a king who asked people to attend a feast. And because such royal events were closed to the public, a person couldn't attend that event without being invited and receiving an invitation to attend this kind of special occasion was considered to be an honor that was to be treasured. It was to be prized. It was to be revered. And now Jude uses this word to tell us that we could have never come to Christ by ourselves. Of course not. We were dead in sin. We didn't have eyes to see. We didn't have ears to hear. This is why Jesus clearly said in the Gospel of John, no man can come unto the Father except the Spirit draw him. But when the gospel invitation came to us, suddenly we had ears to hear, we had eyes to see, and God invited us to salvation. We could have never come on our own. It was a VIP invitation, which God extended to me and to you. And my friends, we need to prize our salvation. We need to treasure it. It is such an honor that we are the invited of Jesus Christ. Isn't that just amazing? But wait, what does the next verse says? The next verse says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Well, let's look at that word mercy. The word mercy is the Greek word elios. It can be translated as pity, but my friends, pity doesn't do much good for anybody. But the word elios is much more than pity. It describes a compassion that is driven to action. One of the best translations of this is in the book of Jude, verse 22, where it says, of some have compassion making a difference. That's the word elios. It describes a person who sees something so distressing that it compels him to do something to change the situation. Maybe you see a child that is homeless or a child that has no food. Rather than just stand by and say, oh, that's just so sad. You're so moved by what you see that you've got to do something to change that child's dire situation. That is the word mercy that is used here. And here James is saying, I'm praying for God to extend a mercy to you so powerful that it will totally change your situation. Then he uses the word peace, peace be unto you. The word peace is the Greek word arane, and the word arane is also the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom, but it describes a cessation of war, conflicts put aside, distractions removed, a time of peace, a time of rebuilding, 
a time of prosperity. That's what he is speaking to his readers. And then he says, love be multiplied. And the word love again is the Greek word agape. He's praying for the marvelous divine love of God to be multiplied in their life. And that word multiplied is the Greek word platheno. And it describes something that is rapidly escalating so fast you cannot even keep track of it. He's praying for the love of God to be multiplied in their life, that it would rapidly escalate in their life. And my friends, he's also praying this for me and he's praying this for you. But how would you translate these verses? Well, would you like to hear a translation of Jude 1? Listen to the RIV of Jude verse 1. I am Jude. First and foremost, a completely sold out, committed, lifelong servant of Jesus Christ and is true with all such servants. That means I now live solely to do his will and to faithfully carry out any assignment he will ever entrust to me. I'm also the natural born brother of James. But in this letter, I'm writing to those who are in God the Father, to those who are deeply embedded inside him, having experienced the inexpressible, indescribable, unspeakable love of God. I'm talking about privileged people that Jesus Christ has personally extended his VIP invitation to. And having accepted that invitation, they're now guarded, kept, preserved by Jesus Christ, who like a soldier, faithfully watching over an assignment or like a shepherd who watches over his flock, he is faithfully now guarding and keeping watch over each and everyone that is under his uninterrupted care. And listen to the RIV of verse 2. Mercy to you, a mercy that compels God to act on your behalf and peace to you. A peace that brings cessation to wars in your life, closure to conflicts and removes distractions, allows a time for rebuilding and reconstruction and ushers in prosperity, fosters the rule of order in the place of chaos and brings a peace that produces a calm inner stability which results in the ability to conduct yourself peacefully even in the midst of circumstances that would normally be traumatic or upsetting. Oh, how I wish for God's love to be multiplied in your life. Oh, that is that this love escalates and abundantly multiplies in your life. That's the RIV of Jude verse 1 and verse 2. But when we come back tomorrow, we're going to get to verse 3, where Jude is going to urge us to earnestly contend for the faith. And it's going to be great. Please don't miss tomorrow. But hey, Remember that we're here to pray for you and we want to hear from you and that we're offering you right now my book, which is called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. And we're offering you the series Earnestly Contending for the Faith. And if you're not a partner, please join us as a partner in our ministry. We need you so we can take this teaching of the Bible to people around the world. And the moment you become a partner, we're going to send you Denise's book called The Gift of Forgiveness and my book called Life in the Combat Zone is our way of saying welcome to the partner family. And you can become a partner by going online right now or by giving us a call. But right now, my announcer is going to tell you how you can get all of these wonderful materials. And then I want to pray for you. We are definitely living at the end of the age when many events prophesied long ago are coming to pass. 
One of those prophesied events is apostasy that will emerge in the church at the end of the age. What exactly does the Bible say about it? And what should be our response to these end time developments? In this crucial series, Earnestly Contending for the Faith, Rick Renner teaches about what the Bible says will occur in the last days and how we are to respond to it. If your desire is to stay on track with God and to stay rooted in His Word, then this is a series you will need to hear again and again so you can get these truths deep into your heart. In this series, Rick covers what it means to earnestly contend for the faith, how God expects us to maintain the purity of the faith, and divine warnings to those who twist the doctrine of grace. This five-part series is available in digital or physical format starting at just $10. And today, we are also offering you Rick's book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, for just $20. In this book, you'll discover what you need to be doing to stay anchored to truth, how to discern right and wrong teaching, and how to be spiritually prepared for living victoriously in these last days. Order this series, Earnestly Contending for the Faith, and the book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. Call the number on your screen now, or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Friends, this is Rick Renner, and I'm standing inside what's going to be the new studio in our TV studio in Moscow. You have given to make this happen. And right now, as you know, prices in Russia are just skyrocketing because of what's taking place in our part of the world. I want to say thank you to every one of you that have done something sacrificial to help us buy all the materials we need to finish the interior. We need to wrap this up as fast as we can. Proverbs 10:21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many. And I want you to understand that from this spot, we're going to feed people all over the world the Word of God. It's not about a building. We're not interested in buildings. This is an anchor that is pivotal for the proclamation and the distribution of the Word of God to this entire part of the world, and it is so, so needed. And by being a partner with us, and being a part of our giving team to wrap this up, every time the signal goes with the Word of God into people's private spaces all over this part of the world, God is gonna credit you with part of the reward for what's going to happen because it's your signal, it's your offerings, it's your sacrifices that are helping us to do this. And when people's lives are transformed, it will be credited to your account. And I want to say thank you for everything that you've already done. Thank you for helping us wrap up phase two of this very important project so we can begin to film programs right here and get the teaching of the Bible to people that are famished for it. And I want to say thank you in advance for being a part of our giving team. It has been so good to share the word with you today. I want to quote for you Jude verse 2, which says, Mercy be to you, peace be to you, and the love of God be multiplied. That word mercy, the Greek word elios, describes the delivering hand of God that wants to reach into your life and change your situation. That word peace 
the Greek word arane, which means God wants to crush all the distractions in your life and bring peace and stability to you so you can function even when situations normally are traumatic and upsetting. This is a peace or a shalom that brings wholeness and tranquility into your life. And lastly, Jude prays for the love of God to be multiplied to you. The word multiplied, the Greek word plethino, which means to rapidly escalate in terms of quality and quantity that you would be overwhelmed with the love of God. And my friend today, I pray for the mercy of God to act on your behalf, to reach out, to deliver you and to change your situation. I pray for the peace of God to bring to you an inner calm and tranquility that enables you to function in your situation. And I pray for the love of God to rapidly escalate in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you tomorrow where we're going to begin in Jude, verse 3. But until then, remember Ecclesiastes 8, 4, where the word of a king is, there is power.